I'm Nate McDonald. My title is the Chief Operating Officer and Vice President of Irreverent Warriors. So what inspired you to join the Marines? You know, I, I kind of always wanted to serve my country, and um, part of that came from my grandfather. He served in World War II. Uh, spent some time with him when I was a kid. He taught me, uh, you know, how, how to hunt, how to fish. We spent a lot of time on his property, and every time his service came up, he would kind of just glow with pride. And didn't tell. He wasn't a guy that told a bunch of war stories, but um, I wanted to feel that pride. I wanted to serve my country, and uh, he was a good example of of why. Can you tell me about your journey? I sure can. Um, which part of it would you like to hear? <laughs> <laughs> the the start of being in the Marines. Well, sure, no problem. So um, I actually didn't know what service I wanted to join right at the start. We were in, in a small town and uh, the closest recruiting stations were the next town over. Went to that town and it was um, kind of like a strip mall with like one service branch to the next to the next and uh, the Marine Corps just kind of hit me different. They they uh, they they didn't really sell as much as the other services did, but they were like, if you want to be a Marine, it's going to be tough. You better be sure you want it because it's it's going to be a it's going to be a tough road. And that really really just kind of connected with uh, you know the challenge that I wanted in the service. I wanted to do something hard, so um, that's kind of what won me over. Um, and then basic training was uh, you know. Like many people's, I was sick most of the time, but um, made it through it. It was a really cool experience for me. Um, I'm going to say that a couple of years later, um, I'd made it through all of my initial training and then got stationed up at Fort Meade, Maryland uh, with special projects and was there until 2011. So when you uh, eventually uh, left the military, I talked to a lot of veterans and they talk a lot about, you know, the transitioning out to civilian life and the challenges. Did you face any of those challenges? I really did. Yeah. Um, when I left the Marine Corps, I, it was because I found out uh, my last deployment to Afghanistan. Um, things didn't go quite the way we had planned. I was physically injured. I came back at the end of that trip and was informed that I wasn't going to continue to be able to do what I was doing in the Marine Corps. Um, and I was very passionate about that. I worked hard to get there and uh, was very proud of, of what I was doing and, and what I was accomplishing with the Marines and, and my teams. So um, it kind of just hit my pride, first of all, right? Um, if it had been my choice to leave, that would have been one thing. But when it's, when it's the decisions taken out of your hands, kind of makes it tough. So that was kind of the first thing I had to get past. And um, that kind of looped into a couple of the other things I was I was dealing with. Um, I didn't want to go seek a bunch of treatment for the my my health issues. Uh, because in my mind, uh, now looking back, that would have been almost admitting that I had health issues in the first place. And I didn't want that. I, once again, I was coming from a place of pride where I was like, mm -hmm, nope, I'm good. I'm still got this. So it took, it took a while for me to deal with that. And then right about the same time, I want to say about a year after I got out, uh, my marriage fell apart. I had a, a young daughter um, and we ended up getting joint custody. So most of the year she was, uh, well, for the school part of the year, she was up with her mom in Wisconsin. And uh, so I, 
my life kind of unraveled uh, string by string there pretty quickly over the over those two or three years. And then, um, you know, it was also just kind of reacclimating to uh, a new group of guys, a new job, uh, and I still wasn't over the old one. So that took me a little bit to get past. And then um, I want to say it was probably about, geez, I want to say probably four, three or four years later before things, I started really getting into the groove, um, you know, being able to identify the things that I needed to work on both physically and mentally. And uh, I would say the catalyst for all of that was um, just one of those really tough days. Health was kicking my butt. The relationships weren't there. Um, I, I didn't really have a network, a community. I worked too much uh, all over the place uh, to really have a whole lot of friends, at least that I talked to on a regular basis. So I was sitting out on, on the back deck in my property in North Carolina, and it was just intensely um, lonely. It was, it was just this isolated feeling. Everything was quiet, beautiful property. I loved it. But um, in that moment, it just felt dark. And uh, so that's when I kind of had to re-identify my purpose. I was, you know, right on the edge of, of making some dumb choices there. And really just being a father was what pulled me out of that. I was like, all right, got a baby girl that depends on me. There's no way I'm leaving this fight. And then, you know, that picture slowly expanded as I, as I put more thought into it. And I was, well, what about my, my family, my, my uh, relatives? And then what about my buddies? And be before the end of the, the thought process, I was like, all right, there's no way I'm going to go anywhere. So I've, I've got to fix the condition I'm in. And started working out, uh, got a new job, and, and really just started pushing myself out of my bubble, out of my uh, dark, isolated place, and, and driving myself to improve, to seek improvement. Can you tell me about the mission of Irrelevant Warriors? Sure. Irreverent warriors, uh, first of all, irreverence is kind of the way we are using the word, the way it kind of exists actually is, you know, dealing with somebody that's usually uh, something that's usually dealt with in a somber attitude, just kind of, you know, quiet, cautious, reserved, sad, you name it. Um, and, and dealing with that in an unconventional fashion, normally making light of it. Um, and that's really where uh, irreverent warriors make sense to us. It's, it's kind of the way a lot of veterans in my demographic um, deal with things, and, and probably a lot of veterans in any demographic. Uh, you know, often we don't take the time to take a knee and be sad, and uh, not while we're in, at least, because um, because you're always driven. You have that yeah. sense of purpose. You got to have the backs of the guy to your left and right, and so. You, Often our, our method of coping is just making a funny joke about something uh, and moving on or, you know, using some levity, some humor to, to bring some light to a dark situation. And uh, for me, that was really useful unconventional therapy through the years. So um, that's kind of what Irreverent Warriors is about. Our mission is to bring veterans together using humor and camaraderie to improve mental health and prevent veteran suicide. Yeah, when I was looking at your website, I saw the stat of 100% of humor and camaraderie. So how is it, you know, bringing humor into something that will help your um, mental health as well? It's often really natural. Um, one of the things that I 
from the from my early days in the Marine Corps, I saw the mental health struggles that were impacting my community, the military and veteran space. And, um, you know, people people were making really, really bad choices with their mental health right and left. And it was all different kinds of factors. You know, it wasn't necessarily everybody that had deployed or saw combat. It was it was just so prevalent in the community. So I lost a couple of team members some some people close to me. And uh, that kind of re-engaged me in that effort of finding a place where I could make a difference in the veteran space. Uh, at the time, military space more than the veteran space. But everything I became a part of, uh, everything's probably a little bit over generalization of, of the situation, but um, many of the things, the missions, the nonprofits that I joined, I didn't see a direct impact in, in things that would have impacted me or my buddies. You know, it was... It was stuff like, you know, well, we're raising awareness or we're raising funds or, hey, guys, come on in and sit in a circle and, and let's talk about our sad problems. And none of those things resonated with me. And I knew they wouldn't have resonated with my buddies. You know, they would have shown up and felt uncomfortable and left and probably never shown up again. So Irreverent Warriors was one of the first things that it it pulled me in just because it was an organization that was doing something on the day of the event. You know, the event wasn't to bring awareness or, or to raise money. The event was to bring veterans together and, and to show them a method for unconventional therapy. So, I mean, I'm sure you saw the, the ridiculous Silky Psych pictures uh, yes. all over the website and everywhere else. <laughs> but that's why that has kind of been one of one of our main events and a very effective one is because, you know, we have veterans show up to those things just to have a good time because it looks like a ridiculous thing to be a part of. And also, you know, it's really hard um, maintaining a masculine bravado when you're wearing short shorts with a bunch of other <laughs> folks. It really is. So, so that kind of loosened everybody up a little bit. And, and my, the first hike that I was a part of, um, I helped coordinate in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I guess this was the second, second Irreverent Warriors event I'd ever been to. And uh, we had, everything logistically was laid out great. And then I, then I realized it wasn't really about the hike. The hike was a construct. You know, I started seeing veterans come out of their shell. They, the guys that were sitting on the sideline, not talking to somebody at the start of the hike, um, midway through had made fast friends. You know, they were, they were telling real stories that needed to be told. Um, yet there wasn't this like somber attitude. It wasn't just everybody traipsing around being sad. It was that communal air of, of um, you know, everybody being military and veteran. So everybody's talking to some degree on the same wavelength. Um, the, the atmosphere of, hey, this is fun. We're doing something outside together with family in a ridiculous fashion. It was just hard to be sad, but people were still having effective conversations. And it wasn't chasing them away. It wasn't making them feel uncomfortable. So that's kind of when I, when I realized how much of an impact irreverent warriors could have. And then um, following that hike, the founder, uh, Danny Maher, Donnie O'Malley, um, he's also started Vet TV, um, and that's where he spends quite a bit of his time these days. Um, but he was there, and Cindy McNally, who's now the president, she was the national hikes coordinator at the time, they'd asked if I wanted to be a bigger part of the organization. And I said, no, I, I'm sorry, I'm a, I'm a contractor, I don't have any spare time. And yet I still found myself going to more and more events and uh, taking the opportunity where I could to make an impact in the organization. I want to say it was about seven or eight months later, um, I was helping put together our first national conference. Um, 
they once again asked me, uh, I, I still said, well, I, you know, I don't want to take an actual position I might be too busy for. And they're like, Nate, you're already doing the work. Just take yeah. the title. <laughs> so um, they made me chief operating officer shortly after that. And then um, the board voted me in as vice president a couple of months later and been doing this ever since. Yeah. How is it hearing stories from veterans that, you know, this organization has helped them? That's well, amazing. That's what, honestly, that's what fuels your fire. Nobody should get into the nonprofit space, especially the veteran nonprofit space and, and expect, well, this is where I'm going to find a claim or this is where I'm going to get rich. It's, it's all about impact. It's all about mission impact. And of course, that's where most nonprofit leaders should be in their headspace. But um, yeah, it was, it was just a, it's a beautiful thing when, when all of that incredibly frustrating work that you deal with on the day in and day out, you know, uh, balance sheets and spreadsheets and uh, operations trackers, and then dealing with um, hundreds of volunteers across the world. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a lot. So those, those seeing the missions impact, whether it's through a testimonial or talking to one of our leaders or being at an event and talking to veterans about how Reverend Warriors has, has made a difference in their lives. That's everything. You know, that's what relights that fire and gets you going back working hard. Um, but I mean, that's, that's the whole goal. Yeah. I saw on the website, like all the states you, the organizations in, how is it keeping everything all together? <laughs> it's a lot. It really is. I mean, we have some amazing people in the organization top to bottom, but it is, uh, it's a challenge. Um, it's definitely one of the hardest jobs I've ever done in my life. It's, you know, trying to track that many pieces of an organization that has this many localized communities. Um, and then, like I said, working with an all volunteer staff brings with it some challenges as well. But often, you know, we, we work during business hours, eight to five, getting done everything we need to on, on a lot of the business side. And then a lot of our meetings and discussions and work with our volunteers tracks into the evening because that's when they are free. You know, that's when they're done with work or school and have the time. So some, some extended days quite often. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's a unique challenge, but it's, it's one I'm, I'm glad I took. Well, you said earlier that sometimes you can't take yourself seriously uh, wearing silkies. Uh, what what is it about that that you know makes it you know more of a humor than a serious thing? Oh sure, yeah. So it's part of it is nostalgia. So um, silkies are an old PT uniform. Um, they're they're about half the size or, or length of any PT uniform we have these days. But at one point in, in time, they were the standard. And you can imagine that was, you know, 70s, 80s, right. that time frame. It kind of fits what was going on with fashion yeah. at the time, right? Military, cutting edge of fashion. Uh, <laughs> not so much. But people kind of just, they hung on to them. You know, people didn't want to let them go. A lot of units still wore them, still wear them um, on and off. They're just not the official branch uniform anymore. Um and, and it kind of just, uh, like I said, that nostalgia piece, it was just um, almost goofy when somebody would wear them. They they weren't wearing them to, you know, I, I need to I need to look professional or I need to look like yeah. I'm bad to the bone as an operator. Like it was just, hey, this is fun. This is comfy. Let's wear these short shorts. So that kind of humor element is almost just a piece of the of the uniform now. Like you put on silkies, 
you feel a little goofy. Like they're, yeah. they're, they are little shorts. And then when you have like, you know, two, 300 people wearing them in public, a public that doesn't really understand the nostalgia behind the silkies, it's, it's pretty hilarious, but yeah, it's, a, it's a, it's definitely one of those things where um, we, we will often have veterans show up and, and people are always welcome to wear whatever. You don't have to wear silkies to hike with us. Like we have people show up in full battle rattle. Other people show up in jeans and a t-shirt. It doesn't matter to us, but often you'll see those, those folks show up wearing something else, something more conservative or something more professional or whatever. And a hike or two in, they'll buy a pair of silkies and start <laughs> wearing those just, just to be a part of the fun. So what are some of the things that motivate you? <sighs> well, I've got quite a few things in my life that motivate me. Um, inside the organization, it's it's kind of what we talked about. It's that mission impact. Um, a lot of times it's it's really easy for a leader in an organization to, to really get focused on the mechanics of how the organization is operating um, and kind of lose sight of, of the people. For me, it's a little easier because the people are my reason for putting up with all the, the operations of the organization. That's the impact on the people. So, I mean, that's my biggest motivator for being here with the Reverend Warriors and doing what I'm doing. Um, obviously, I'm not really making anything, um, but it's not about that. You know, I'm, I'm overworked and underpaid like quite a few other nonprofit leaders, but it's it's really it pays dividends when it comes to, you know, being able to network, being able to talk to people, um, see the impact that is made in their lives and, and see them really drive into a healthy, healthier physical and mental place. So I would say my main motivator inside the organization, it's that it's our people top to bottom, whether you're a first time hiker that showed up and have no idea what you're doing yet, or you're one of our national volunteers that has been around the organization for seven years. It doesn't matter. Like you're, you're my family. I want to take care of you. I want to, I want to see you grow and improve whether it's inside or outside the organization. So I would say within IW, that's my primary, um, in my life, my, my biggest, um, motivating factor by far is my wife and my daughter. Like they, they are absolutely amazing. Um, Anna, she's, uh, I, I actually met her at a Silky's hike in Fort Lauderdale. Um, we, we shook hands, exchanged info. And then a couple weeks later, we, we reconnected and talked. And um, yeah, it's it's been amazing knowing her. Um, and, you know, having having people that close in your life, people that you see on a daily basis that depend on you, it makes it a lot harder to, to loop back into your own BS. You know, it, yeah. it really makes it difficult to to fade out, to, to lose your stride. But you got to keep pushing. Um, so, so, I mean, that's a huge motivating factor for me there as well. And then just personally, um, I've, I've always, I've been told since my injuries uh, in the Marine Corps that my life expectancy is shorter. And at first that really hit me hard. I was like, uh, wait, what? I don't have as many years to live. You don't know that. Come on, dude. And then I, I really started settling into the idea that it didn't really matter. Like that nothing was given. I could have tomorrow. I could have next year. I could have a month left how am I going to live that life and live it to its fullest? So that's another piece of that is, you know, I, before I, before I bounce off this, this plane, I really want to have made the biggest impact I can, not just in my community or my family, but in the world around me. 